You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about something that all of us have to deal with, whether that's in our yard or on our larger acreages, and that is noxious weeds. And man, we've got a few of those in Idaho and in Eastern Oregon, both noxious weeds and invasive species. And what in the world do you do about them? And did you know that there's actually laws that require you to control these things on your property? And they're difficult to get rid of. I mean, these are a big time pest on our properties and what in the world can we do so today what we're going to do is we're going to have two guests on the show one from ada county's weed and pest department where we're going to speak about the legalities of this and what you can do and just give you an example of what services are offered in ada county and hopefully what services can be offered to you in the county where you live as well and then we're going to have a guest on from the bureau of land management to talk about biological controls for noxious weeds. There's actually some solutions out there that uh, are long-term and don't involve you going out and spraying every year. So there's some interesting different ways to control these noxious weeds and these invasive species. I hope you enjoy that and I hope you get some useful information out of our interviews today. Joining me now is Sam Holt. He is the Program and Education Specialist for Ada County in their Weed Pest and Mosquito Abatement Department. Sam, thank you very much for coming on and agreeing to speak with us about noxious weeds today. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. You know, it's a, it's a big issue out here in the West with the noxious weeds, and I assume it is in other places, but in our region specifically, uh, it's something that we run into. And I think a lot of people don't know that there are laws surrounding what they have to do when it comes to noxious weeds on their property. So that's kind of why I wanted to have you on and talk about that so people kind of understood what their responsibilities were. And I'll tell you what, we're going to get to that. I wonder if if just to start out, can I ask you just kind of about your career and your education that's led you to have this position with Ada County? Yeah, so my career in building up to my position that I have today is I started driving actually for weed control in 2012. And over the course of that season, um, I learned a lot about the weed aspect of things. But then the very next season after that, I went to larva siding for one year. And I learned about the mosquito abatement side. And the year after that, I was the pest control coordinator. And so I was able to supervise and learn that side of things. And all while still learning about weed control and mosquito abatement, so in 2015, they made me the program edu- education specialist because I was able to retain all that information and uh, I can relate it really well to the public. <laughs> well, that's always the key, right, is uh, you can learn a lot, but can you retain it? So <laughs> that's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you must have some skills that allow you to, to teach well and, and to be able to pass this along in a way that people can absorb it. So, so there you are. Well, perfect. I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you on and to be able to talk about this. Now, I guess really my first question for you jumping into this is why is there an Ada County Weed Pest and Mosquito Abatement Department? What is the, the roots of this? Why does it even exist? So essentially, there's a specific list of plants in our state that are very invasive and non-native. And so they can push their way into an ecosystem and they can push all of their plants out and they can disrupt food chains greatly and destroy crops. And so for us, we help rid the community of them. 
We help citizens of the community when they ask for it. And then also we help keep others accountable for their responsibilities on their property. So specific to Ada County weed pest and mosquito abatement and then specific to noxious weeds, what are the functions of your department? So the best way to be able to put what we do in this department for weed control is we monitor, maintain, and manage noxious weeds in Ada County. And so we will go, and if there's a citizen that, that calls us, asks for help, we will go out there and assess their property and give recommendations to how they can fix it. In other cases, is we will notice that there's noxious weeds on someone's property, so then we will send them some letters and try to notify them to control their noxious weeds. And if we don't hear from them, then we will post it out in front. So just put some signs out everywhere. And then if we still do not hear from them, that's when we will go out and spray for them and then build them for the services. Gotcha. So you'll actually go out and apply herbicide and then bill the property owners if it gets to that point. Yes. And there is there is a very lengthy process that ends up where we legal letters and posting properties and majority of the time we end up reaching the individual. Yeah, it's not like somebody calls up and says, hey, these people have a noxious weed on their property and you guys just run out and spray it. There's a lengthy process that takes into account all their constitutional rights and all that type of stuff as we lead up to that. Oh, yes. Every property property owner has rights. And that's <laughs> something that we, 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 we stay very strict to. And so there, there's pros and cons to that, too. That's also why if the community ever notices and wonders why, like, Sometimes puncture vine on canalways or on green belts aren't being controlled within a timely manner is because it seems like every 15 feet, 20 feet, there's a new property owner. Now, that's one side of what you do, but a property owner can actually call and request your assistance with taking care of noxious weeds too. Yes. So the only type of applications that we don't do is ornamentals. And so with like the front lawn and stuff like that, but any kind of rangeland or uh, pasture or agricultural reasons, um, we will actually go out. We will do a recommendation where we'll just look at everything, make sure where the land, like how it slopes, where the waterways are and uh, what you want to grow, what you want to do with it. And then after we find that out, we'll give you a recommendation and we have a flat rate of 50 bucks if we spray, but sometimes we just go out and do a recommendation and that's it. But other times they acquire our services and that's when we'll go out there and spray it for them. So if you go out and you spray property for somebody based on their request, you've got a flat rate of $50. I'm assuming that's your minimum fee. How do you charge uh, as time goes on and you're spraying and applying chemical? Oh, so all we do is we charge labor and chemical is since we're a county entity, so we're not in it to make a profit. And so we just charge how much it costs for us to be out there. Now, what is that rate for the labor? It greatly varies depending on if you have one person doing it or if it requires two people to be there mm-hmm. or if there's four wheelers involved. So that's where the price greatly varies, okay. but they'd be able to tell you before any cost. The recommendation part's free. So Okay, so when they come out and they do the recommendation, then they can give you an estimate on the cost of having having you guys do it. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a commercial break, and when we come back, i got a few more questions for you about this, then I, uh, I want to get into some of the more specifics. Sound okay? That sounds perfect. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with 
classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. If you think buzzing insects are annoying, just think about your horses. Without arms to swing and swat with, flies and gnats can land right in their eyes and ears, leading to sores, infections, and even allergic reactions. So this summer, protect your horses with Dervet Fly Control Masks from D&B Supply. Dervet Fly Control Masks keep a horse's eyes fresh and clean, preventing infections and improving vision for your noble steed. Dervet Fly Control Masks, available with and without ear protection at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Sam. So now that we're back, I, I want to follow up with you on that question about having Ada County or maybe similar county agencies come out to help spray and control uh, these noxious weeds on your property. So in order for Ada County to come out, do you have to have noxious weeds or will Ada County come out and help you control other weeds in your pastures or on your rangeland? So our main priority is we really look for noxious weeds, but if you look hard enough, you can pretty much find a noxious weed in almost any property. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how bad they are. But it's one of those things too, is we're, we're there to help the citizens out because they're the ones that pay for us to be here. And so noxious weeds is our number one priority, but we will always help people with their fields that are just having problems with, and at least give them recommendations of how to take care of it. Now, is there an agency similar to yours in every county in Idaho? So by law, they dictated that for every county, there needs to be a weed superintendent. So there is somebody that you are able to contact for noxious weeds. Depending on the county, that's where it varies from what kind of services you can get from the county. So there is at least a superintendent in every county in the state of Idaho. That doesn't necessarily mean they've got the same services as you, but it's possible. It's worth checking into. Yes, it is definitely worth checking into. Okay. And now we've got listeners over in Eastern Oregon, all the way up through Pendleton and Baker LeGrand as well. Do you have any idea if you've got kind of a a colleague or a counterpart in Oregon that's doing the same as you're doing? Do do they provide the same services uh, over there? I am not readily capable, like have the information that I know right offhand, but uh, that is definitely something that I would imagine that they would have being up in the Northwest region that they would have some sort of, because I know Oregon's just as big on, on noxious weeds as we are, okay. just like Washington. And uh, it's one of those where I would be very surprised if they didn't have somebody. For our Oregon listeners. It then. is definitely still worth worth checking into. Got it. Okay. Yeah, very good. Because I, I imagine a lot of times, do you encounter people uh, in Ada County that did not even know that this service was available to them? Oh, there's still multiple people that I run into every year at the fair that still don't know about the services. And we go to every parade. We do every outreach we can. We go to the fair. And it is my job to be a full-time annoying person trying to get everybody to know <laughs> about us. And I still run into people. I ran into somebody actually just yesterday morning that didn't know that they paid for our services. Right. And that's important for people to know, right? On their property tax assessment, they're already paying for this service. Yes. And that that is why we I encourage people to always call and also always read what taxes you're paying for. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you talked about kind of the enforcement arm that you have uh, in your agency. What do the Idaho laws say about noxious weeds? What 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 are property owners required to do about noxious weeds on their property? So essentially, it says property owners must control noxious weeds on their property. And the only kind of mitigating circumstances that it allows for is if you're already part of a weed control program with that county 
weed superintendent. And so that would be if somebody already has a pre-arrangement and written out formal agreement with us saying that they are controlling weeds on their property. And that's where we will step back and, and we will just monitor. And as long as they're following that agreed plan, then that's when we will kind of not, not get involved. But uh, for the property owner themselves, it's just they have to control noxious weeds on their property. A lot of these uh, noxious weeds within one season, they have over 100,000 seeds that are just flying out. And that's when it really starts to get out of hand. But those are mostly our noxious weeds that are in our EDRR category, which is the early detection rapid response, which is our highest priority noxious weed. So for a person in Ada County, uh, or I guess anywhere in the state of Idaho, to be in compliance with the law, what methods can they be using to control these noxious weeds? That is where we are always erring on the side of caution, depending on the weed that we're talking about and the type that it is. So whether or not it's a perennial and I mean, if it's biennial or if I'm like a vine, a shrub, it's for us, it, it always depends on what it is because some you don't want to chop in half. You just made two different plants and you can use sprays, but it also depends. Is it aquatically labeled? Is it by a running water source or waters of the U.S.? And so that's where you need to be very, very careful. But that's where I recommend calling your county superintendent to be able to get the best method on which to take care of it. Great. Well, that's great advice. Now, I want to ask you, at least in our region and in, in what you deal with here in the Treasure Valley and in western Idaho, southwestern Idaho, what are the main noxious weeds that people need to learn how to identify and know that they're probably on their property somewhere? Yeah. Okay. So uh, here in Ada County, odds are if you have a few acres or more, you probably have hoary crest or white top. There is white top everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so that's just in our control category. You can throw $10 billion into labor and product to control it and you, you won't even get 5% of it out. There is a lot of it. And then you'll also notice mostly early, like in the spring is when it's blooming. It's starting to dry up now, so they're probably going to start dying. But a poison hemlock, that's another one that's usually you'll see along the canals. It's the big, tall ones that are poisonous. Mm -hmm. And then um, everybody knows puncture vine or goat heads. Yeah, I didn't realize they were listed as a noxious weed, but they are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's some others, especially on rangeland, that I'm familiar with, uh, but I'm, I'm going to draw a blank on the names. I know it. Are there some out there that differ th from what we'll find in areas where you have water? I'm talking about like rush skeleton weed is one I've heard of. Yes, and that one has a very short window to be able to apply, to be even be able to spray it or control it because it blooms. That's one of the indicators is when it's blooming is when it's best time to spray it. And now talking about ways to control these, I know, and we're going to, we're going to have uh, Joseph Milan from the BLM on as well, but there's some biological controls that are available on some of these noxious weeds. Is that something that is recognized by Ada County as a, as a way that we can control them? Yeah, we actually actively, every season, we end up using biocontrol and we reintroduce it into the environment. And that's something that every season we keep trying it out and we are seeing some success with it. But it is definitely one of those methods in which you have to be adamant to keep doing it because to get them to latch onto that ecosystem, to be able to stay and start thriving, that's where it, I mean, it's kind of a hit or miss basing on how accurate you're trying to be and how many you introduce and how many times throughout the season. Okay. So we are starting to see some success with it, Got but it. it's not going to be one of those quick fixes. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's take another commercial break, and then when we come back, let's talk about timing a little bit. Sounds good. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to hand handcrafted work boots to fashion forward looks to fit your daily life stop on by dnb supply to try danner boots on for size good nutrition can mean the difference between best in show and better not go so how can you make sure your future prize winning livestock is getting exactly what it needs to succeed seasoned showmen and women use neutrina show edge Neutrina Show Edge provides a simple program that gives you the edge in the ring so you can focus on what it takes to be a winner Neutrina Show Edge Livestock Feeds and Supplements, available at your local D&B Supply. All right, Sam. Well, I, I want to ask you about timing. So when it comes to the noxious weeds that are most prevalent here in our region, when is the best time to control them? So for the noxious weeds, it depends on the noxious weed that we're talking about. If you're talking about like the puncture vine, that's when you're going to want to do either a pre-emergent. So you're going to want to do like early in the year, like February, March. Or you want to do that in the summer, and that's where it's going to be mostly round up, and it's going to be contact. So right when it's blooming, it's fully grown to try to just knock it down quickly. But then you still have that seed bed, which different things, uh, it differentiates for that seed. But last report that I saw is puncture vine seeds are able to uh, still germinate and remain dormant for 30 years. So. so when it comes to the puncture vines or the common term, I guess, goat heads, I mean, anybody who's ever ridden a bike knows what we're talking about. If you spray those down, but those seeds are present, then those seeds, they're, they're still going to be able to do the damage, you know, when it comes to bike tires, stepping on them or germinating yes. new plants. Should you be like shoveling and bagging these if you, if you have the time and the ability? Yeah, if you have the time and the ability, you can definitely shovel it and bag it. We also tell some people uh, if you really are adamant on getting that seed bed out, especially if you have an area that's just really infested, mm-hmm. is even taking a piece of old carpet and rubbing into the ground because they will grab onto that carpet and oh. you can either shake it off or throw the carpet away. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And some people, and some people try to burn it, and other people they just they've I've heard all different types of methods, but the the temperature in which you have to reach for those seeds because of how thick that outer lining is the temperature you have to reach is just so hot that the majority of people won't get to it okay and so that's where it's always best to just find a way to be able to get it to grab pull it up and bag it and throw it away well that carpet method's really interesting do you need to have applied something like roundup and kind of burnt those vines back before that will work Oh, that's an interesting question i've actually been asked that <laughs> um usually no it's i haven't heard of any like you needed to spray anything first to get them to to shrink up a little bit okay i'm pretty pretty sure the carpet actually would still work okay well you know it's questions like that that's why i get the big bucks right there yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay all right tell me about controlling white top this stuff is unreal so what what in the world can a person do one of the things that we notice with citizens uh is they will start on a regiment where they're spraying it correctly according to the label or they just they stop is once they start seeing good results then they kind of keep doing it and they just stop but then it's back with a vengeance and one of the things with a lot of these noxious weeds is the reason why they're noxious you have to remain on a regiment and whether it's with a private company whether it's with your county or 
or it's just you spraying it. But regardless of what you're using, as long as it's at the labeled use, you have to remain adamant about it. And what time of year is best to spray that white top? Spring and fall. <laughs> okay. But you've got to set up a regular program and stick to that to make it effective. Yes. Now, the poison hemlock, I definitely, in a, in a business I used to own and operate, ran into people who didn't know what it was. But poison hemlock, that offers some actual legitimate danger to people, doesn't it? Uh, it does. And keep in mind, it's it, it would have to be like the worst situation and the worst things happening all at once with the worst case scenario mm -hmm. thing with it because usually people just stay away from it. But yes, there is a toxin inside of poison hemlock that is extremely poisonous to us. Got it. And poisonous to livestock as well. Yes, very poisonous to livestock. Believe it or not, it is actually way more toxic when it is just starting to sprout. That was one issue that our former director was having. He, he had a lot of sheep and he would always talk about when it started sprouting up, his sheep would eat it and it would be horrible. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, because when it's first coming up, it's more difficult for the animals to differentiate and probably more palatable, yes. and then bam, you've got a bunch of dead sheep or goats or something like that. So that's interesting. So yeah, it is not a very pleasant, now, pleasant weed, but that's also the bad thing is that also has a very short time frame in which it dies. And so the amount of acres that is infested with that noxious weed and the amount of time that we have in that window, is, and especially with it being right along a waterway, Every year, it's a battle for us. Okay, absolutely. Now, when it comes to identifying poison hemlock, I've heard and read a bunch of different things. Is it true that it kind of has the appearance of a carrot when it's first starting out? Yeah, it kind of does, um, but extremely quickly, it will shoot up to be ridiculously tall, like 15 feet tall. Okay. And that's where it's very hard to not know that it's poison hemlock. <laughs> Got it. Because it starts looking like small trees, just with a white top to it. <laughs> well, this has been great. What have I left out, Sam? What is it that you want listeners to know that I haven't asked you? One of the things is even though we, we do have certain obligations and we do end up having to notify to control noxious weeds on people's properties, is 99.9% .9 of our situations that we encounter, it ends up very positive. And it's an education session and nobody should be concerned or or afraid to be able to talk to their weed superintendent or to call us at the county because if we know that you want help we will do anything we can within our power to be able to help you and even if for some people if the, if it's a money that's an issue we are more than willing to work with people to be able to control the noxious weed and make sure that they don't go broke in the process. Okay, that's great news. Well, for people out there listening, if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? And if they want to get in touch with their own superintendent in their own county, how would you suggest they go about finding that information? So regardless on the county, if you just want basic information or, or you just have questions or concerns, you can call me at 208-577-4635 or Holt at adaweb.net. If you want to talk to their county weed superintendent, Google. <laughs> That's honestly going to be your quickest route is just put in your county's name and put weed superintendent and hit search. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, Sam, thank you very much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. All right, everybody, let's take another commercial break. And when we come back, let's talk about biological controls with the Bureau of Land Management. Know where to go for good-looking boots that won't break the bank? For that authentic Western look on a budget, D&B knows that you can turn to Laredo Boots. Laredo Boots have a loyal following for dealing out that real Western look and feel with detailed stitching and traditional designs from the best of the Old West. They're also known to be tender on the feet, 
while saving your hard-earned legal tender. Stick out around town without the sticker shock with Laredo Boots, available at your favorite B&B Supply. Jumpstart your pet's healing with Vetrisin Plus Wound and Skin Spray, Eye and Ear Care, and Hotspot Hydrogel. Vetrisin products are safe, non-toxic, and contain no antibiotics or steroids. Make bath time healthier for your pet and easier for you with Vetrisin Foam Care Shampoo. It sprays on for quick coverage, foams up instantly, conditions skin as it cleans, and rinses easily. Vetrisin Animal Wellness products are the safest, most effective way to help your animals heal. Visit them online at Vetrisin.com. Well, joining me now is Joey Milan. He is the Biological Control Specialist for the Bureau of Land Management. Joey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about biological controls for noxious weeds and and other weeds on our property. I think it's a really interesting thing to do. And I just uh, was at the Canyon County Fair just a couple weeks ago and saw a big poster up there in the Idaho Ag Tent talking all about what you do. And and you're certainly pointed to as the expert on this. I've been doing it for about 16 years off and on. Uh, I started this as kind of a specialist about 11 years ago. And yeah, we get out there any chance we can, so it's a pleasure to be on your program. Those those posters were something I put together about seven or eight years ago, and I put out about 100 of them, so I'm surprised they're still out there, but there you go. <laughs> they're definitely out there. They're in the Idaho Ag Tent. Well, so tell us how you got involved in working with biological controls on weeds. When I first started with the BLM, my job initially was following fires and, and uh, mapping the invasive species that were coming in. And at that time, that was sort of what I thought I would do during the summer. I'd be a teacher, but an, an opportunity came up and I was asked what I wanted to do within the BLM. And one of the glaring holes that we had throughout the Bureau was a lack of expertise in biological control. And for those of you that don't really know what biocontrol is, everybody knows what, for example, Roundup is. It's an herbicide. You spray on a weed. The weed kills over. It dies right before your eyes. Uh, everybody laughs and cheers, jumps up and down. It's a happy day. Uh, biocontrol is sort of the green alternative to that. We utilize insects, nematodes, pathogens, mites, those sorts of things to do the same sort of thing. But oftentimes it takes a little bit longer to accomplish. So when we work with broad landscapes like we do within the BLM in Idaho, we've got about 10.4 million acres of BLM land. And we work with huge swaths of land that are encompassed by large patches of invasive species. There's no way we can get out there and spray it all with herbicide. So over the last 35, 40 years, we've been really working more towards using biocontrol where it's applicable. Well, now, is there a specific biocontrol that you specialize in? Being from Idaho, we are sort of the uh, nation's exporter of a weed called rush skeleton weed. Mm -hmm. Most folks in the Boise area know this. If you've driven up by banks and you see something that's green... 90% 90% chance it's going to be rush skeleton weed. Okay. That's the one that I sort of cut my teeth on. That's the one that I did my master's work on in graduate school. So I would say that that whole system is sort of my area of expertise. We actually just put out a new publication on that not too long ago. Other than that, though, there's a number. There's about 66 noxious weeds in the state of Idaho, and then there's several other invasive plants as well. Of those, we have good biocontrol agents for about a third of them, kind of depending on how you defined good. We have some others that we're really working on, and this is a whole process that takes place overseas. What we're doing is we're, we're matching invasive species, which are not from here, with their natural enemies, which are also not from here. So it's a cumbersome process. It's a laborious process. It's one that's uh, rooted in science. Everybody thinks about biocontrol, and they think cane toads, and they think mongoose, and they think all these terrible examples of biological control, well, that's gone. This is very much um, science-based, and we haven't released anything that's provided a black eye in the biocontrol community since the Endangered Species Act in 1973. 
Well, yeah, you're totally right. When you say biological controls, the first thing that comes to my mind is a cane toad. Yeah. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a bad example of a biocontrol gone bad. Okay. Uh, you're doing it in a safe way. Now, you brought up something really interesting, and that is these invasive species coming from other continents? Mainly Eurasia. Uh, if, okay. if you were to really sort of pinpoint where they're from as a collective, it would be Eurasia. Okay. So coming from other continents, you've got to figure out what their natural predator is back on that continent. Exactly. And so that's not an easy thing to do. No, we've got a team of scientists overseas. We've got research labs at several spots overseas, and we work with them to establish those targets. They go through uh, sort of the litany of potential biological control agents, natural enemies, and they then kind of pare that down so that when you do go to look for those things, we get something that's climatically similar to the problems that we have here. So, for example, rush skeleton weeds are our export that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of rush skeleton weed at Lake Prespa, which is a lake in Greece. Now, we don't exactly have a Mediterranean climate here, so instead of looking in there for biocontrol, what we've started doing is moving up towards Kazakhstan, which is very climatically similar to Idaho. Don't tell anybody that, but it's true. Okay. I guess we just told a lot of people that. I guess so. (laughs) Okay, so does somebody actually have to observe and watch the plant and see what insects are coming to it and destroying it, I guess? Yeah, so when you go into something like that, you go into it looking for specific natural enemies, and... Oftentimes, you try to find the Achilles heel of the particular plant. With rush skeleton weed, it's the root crown. If you can get something that attacks the root crown, you can destroy the plant. So if you are overseas and you're looking around, you want to look for something that's targeting that specific part of the plant. So then what you'll do is you'll collect it. You have to collect viable numbers, so at least 20, so you can get preferably 10 females, 10 males. Mm -hmm. You bring it back to the laboratory. Everything happens overseas. We bring nothing over at this point in the process. So once we bring it back over to, into the lab over there, overseas, they'll test it not just against rush skeleton because if you pull it from rush skeleton there's a pretty good chance it's going to attack rush skeleton weed. But we have a lot of closely related species that we're very concerned about, taxonomically speaking. So we will then test that insect against all those other non-target weeds, is where non-target plants rather is what we call them. After it goes through that whole process, then maybe it'll make it past the quarantine list and we'll be able to bring it overseas to the United States where we'll continue that testing. So we've got sort of biogeographical testing going on at the same time. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's take a commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you some more specific things about how it works here and the practical applications for property owners in the area. Okay. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance and select horse feeds available at DNB Supply. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the top line balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by DNB Supply for top line balance from Neutrina. All right, Joey. Well, now that we're back, I want to ask you uh, a couple questions, but I guess the first one would be, how do biological control methods, how do they compare to conventional weed control methods? 
Well, as I mentioned at the onset, everybody's heard a roundup. That is a safe one that people just know. And it's all over Fred Meyer. It's all over D&B. It's all over all these places. Mm -hmm. With biocontrol, you don't know what Brady Roa Gilvielella is. You don't know what some of these species are because we don't have an outreach effort. But I would argue that on a landscape level, biological control has actually done more for weed control throughout the United States than any conventional method, that being uh, chemical, Mm -hmm. mechanical, um, any of those methods along with cultural, which is targeted grazing, which can be used, and all these things can be used together, and that's probably the best method. We call that integrated pest management. Mm -hmm. But you can also use them singularly, and oftentimes when you use something singularly and you do just an herbicide application, for example you are going to walk away and you're not going to come back. And if you do that, a lot of times these invasive plants are invasive for several reasons. Number one, they're hard to kill. Mm-hmm. And you don't just get to spray it once and just walk away. I mean, you can attest to that probably with dandelions in your yard. It's the same premise. So with biocontrol, what you do is you you put it out there, you wait for it to build up numbers, and you can walk away. Because if it works in an ideal situation, it will build up population levels to the point where it can actually control that target weed to the point where it's no longer at the damage threshold. That means that we can walk away. So it's always going to be there. Because when you talk about biocontrol, you're waving the white flag. You're saying, we're going to live with cheatgrass. We're going to live with rush skeleton. We're never going to get rid of it wholesale. Mm -hmm. But we want to knock it down to the point where we can have other things growing in behind it so we can increase our biodiversity and we can have a healthier ecosystem in that regard. Biocontrol gives you that tool. When it comes to biocontrol and for the people listening to the show, what weeds right now are there applicable biocontrols for uh, here in our region in southwestern Idaho, eastern Oregon, and even up through Pendleton in that area? The number one weeds in those specific areas that we have good agents for are diffuse knapweed, uh, spotted knapweed, Russian knapweed, leafy spurge. We've got some for purple loosestrife, which is a dynamite biocontrol uh, target. We have some for the toad flaxes, those being yellow and Dalmatian. And we have some for field bindweed that's kind of up in the air. The number one request I get, though, is for puncture vine. And we do have some for puncture vine, but I will tell you that wherever puncture vine grows, you can probably get a vehicle because it's there for a reason. It sticks in your tires. Mm -hmm. And I would tell folks that if puncture vine smells 2,4-D, it just curls up and dies. So we have biocontrolations for that should you have this back far 40 area that you're never going to get to. But um, those are the ones, aside from puncture vine, that we have pretty good biocontrols for that, that that are applicable for this area. All right. Now, is your research and in the development of these biological control methods, is it to the level where their uh, property owners can use this as a viable alternative or a supplement or an addition to chemical controls? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you the, you know, the, the, the caveat. It's, it's, everything is dependent. Mm-hmm. If you have a typical city lot in, you know, let's say Boise, and it's a quarter acre, there's no reason for you to use biocontrol. Okay. But if you've got, you know, a ranchette or 25 acres out in the outskirts somewhere and you have a huge population of any of those weeds I mentioned, then yeah, I mean, it really depends on, on what you're working with and also the timeline that you have envisioned for when you want that control to occur. Some of these biocontrol systems take 25 years to see mar- market results. Some of them happen in a year or two. It just, it's, it's situationally dependent and that's the reason why I have a job. <laughs> okay. So if it takes a year or two to start seeing results, when somebody comes up to you and they ask you, you know, why would I want to use this method when I can just go spray or I can go buy a boom for my my ATV or whatever it may be and just go spray, what do you tell them? Um, I tell them, you know, if you promise, you think that you're going to get out there and treat that thing every single year for the next seven to 10 years, 
and that's your control method, go for it. There's no reason for you to use biocontrol. But if you want to get out there, you want to have a more holistic approach, and you also want to marry those those methods together. So for biocontrol, for every successful biocontrol agent, for every dollar you put into that system, you get $33 on your return. For every successful chemical uh, method, for every dollar you put in, you get $2.5 in return. Now, when you combine those two, it's upwards of, of 1 to 50 ratio. So if you time them right and you do it, and you have that IPM approach I mentioned before, you can really have noticeable impacts in a shorter amount of time, and you can have a, a, an approach that will continue to work going forward rather than something you have to go in and retreat every single year, year after year. Yeah, the sense I'm getting just from listening to you is that it's the long-term game it that is. where the biological controls are really have their strength. It is. That's It's the long-term game. It's, it's the large swaths of land. That's where they, they really come into play. So if you've got big acreage, I mean biocontrol for sure. But if you've got small areas that you can manage by yourself or you've got kids and you know you don't mind putting a little slave labor, put a backpack <laughs> sprayer on them and tell them to go for it. All right. Well, let's take another commercial break and uh, come back. I want to talk about how people can get this done if they want to. Sounds good. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B Supply. If you think buzzing insects are annoying, just think about your horses. Without arms to swing and swat with, flies and gnats can land right in their eyes and ears, leading to sores, infections, and even allergic reactions. So this summer, protect your horses with Dervet Fly Control Masks from D&B Supply. Dervet Fly Control Masks keep a horse's eyes fresh and clean, preventing infections and improving vision for your noble steed. Dervet Fly Control Masks, available with and without ear protection at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Joey, so I want to ask, if somebody out there listening, if they want to incorporate biological controls into their weed management program or their integrated pest management program on their property, I'm assuming they have to call you or somebody at your office. They can't, <laughs> they can't just go down to you know, the local DNB and buy these insects. Well, I will say you can buy anything you want to over the internet these days. Okay. But I will also say if you do buy something that's biological related, uh, the closer you can get it to where you want it, the closer you can, you can collect it from and put it near where you are, the better. You get those uh, microclimatic changes and you they're, they're adapted to your specific area rather than, you know, most of these purveyors are honestly in Montana and they do great work. They're great people. They, they have a lot of quality material that they send out. But if you are in Ada County and you have a biocontrol collection site that's in Ada County, the chances that it will make it in Ada County are really good rather than having it from somewhere else. So rather than have you know, a thousand landowners call me. Um, what I encourage them to do is work through their county weed superintendent because what I do every year is I talk to those uh, county weed superintendents, of which there are 41 in the state. And we go to, we have an annual meeting and they sort of collate those requests and they give those to me that way. Now, um, and this is where your listeners are probably going to be pretty interested. We, as taxpayers, you've already paid for this. So what we do is we get this for you at no cost. And we do this 
through a variety of methods. When we do a biocontrol collection and we release on somebody else's property, we ask if we can come back and collect. Now, if, if that's going to be a no going into the future, you're probably not going to get those. But this is sort of a way of paying it forward. There's no way that you can over-collect on any particular site. So you're, once you have them established at your site, they will always be established. Mm-hmm. You can't overcollect. You can't drive that population into the ground. It's just like the whole cockroach approach in New York City, right? If you see one, you know there's 50 somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how the, how the insect world works. So if they do have a request for any of those, and um, I've got a website that you can access to see if those are something you'd be interested in, then just go through your county weed superintendent. They put those all those requests together and then I get them at the beginning of each year in January and we go through and we fill every single one of those requests as we can. Well, that's a great way to do it. Now, if you use these biological controls, these insects on your property, is there any chance that they're going to consume anything that's beneficial to you that you don't want to have harmed? And that's where things have changed quite a bit since the Endangered Species Act in 1973. Uh, back then, things were kind of willy-nilly, but now... Biocontrol takes anywhere from 10 to 15 years to get anything established or to get anything approved, I should say. And it's a one to two million dollar investment. This is on the back end. So when they go through and they do the tests and they do the go through the testing process, it is SOHO specific that sometimes it's biotype specific. So the answer is no. It will die rather than eat on anything that it's not supposed to. Um, I always tell folks that, you know, my kids don't really like tomatoes, but I can get them to eat tomatoes. <laughs> right. uh, and and they, they do those sorts of tests in the biocontrol testing process, but they would rather make sure that these, these insects won't eat those tomatoes at all or they don't even make it through the testing process. And it's a laborious testing process with a lot of red tape. Okay. It's red tape that's there for a reason. I'm not complaining about it. We haven't had a new biocontrol agent released in the United States since 2009. That's how stringent the testing process is. And there's been some dynamite biocontrol agents that have been petitioned for release. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get the biocontrol agents that we want. But in due time, if they are successful and they are agents that are so specific, they would rather die than eat anything other than they're supposed to, then we will have them. How is that done? Is it just a matter of selecting for and watching and finding the right insect that will only eat that one specific plant? So, you know, grasshoppers eat everything. They're gentlest, right? Uh, You have the opposite end of that spectrum on the bell-shaped curve, if you want to think of it like that. And those are the ones that are so specific that they just go after that one part of the plant. It's not just that plant. It's that one piece of the plant. So how the testing process works is you have the target wheat for, we'll use rush skeleton because we started the show with that. And... Then what you do is you put together a test plant list, and that test plant list is anything that could possibly be consumed by that particular target insect, the candidate insect. That can be anywhere from 75 to 150 species long. So there's a lot of plants to test in the sunflower family, which is where rush skeleton weed is. Mm-hmm. So they'll go through and they'll test every single one of those, and they'll test it not once but three times, and they'll test it not just for one year but for four years. And if those results show beyond the shadow of a doubt that rush skeleton weed is the only thing that's attacked 99.999% of the time going forward, it's probably going to be a pretty good biocontrol agent. And there's some more intricacies to the testing process than that, but just, you know, for for this situation, that's probably the best way to describe it. Now, just to clarify what you were saying, if the property owner who uses this method, if they allow your agency or the county to come out and collect these insects and use it as a collection site, then there's no cost to them. No cost at all. And uh, you mentioned a website they might want to go to to check the check. Yeah, on rather than give you a URL, I just tell you to Google BLM or Idaho State Department of Agriculture Biological Control, and it'll take you right to it. It will. Okay, so just do a search. Yep. Very, very good. Number one hit. 
All right, Joey. Well, thank you very much for coming on today and spending the time with us and sharing this information. Really, really fascinating way and long-term way to deal with uh, these invasive species and noxious weeds. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. (laughs) 